This is the Get A Life Podcast. X-Cult Conversations. Aberdeen, Scotland. The scene of a pivotal moment in the history of the PBCC. Aberdeen was a culmination of a long series of events that marked a steady diversion from mainstream Christian church practices. Follow along through the story. This church represents the epicenter of the Aberdeen story. Here is James Taylor Jr. The man at the center of a scandal that shook what once considered itself a mainstream Christian church. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Get a Life podcast, Excult Conversations. Today, we have uh, Richard and Carmen with us and special guests David Shorto and Bradley McKellen's back. Today, we're going to head into um, the Aberdeen incident, which was a very much long drawn out process. It wasn't necessarily just a one time situation that happened. It had a lot of history behind it that we're going to get into. Um, Bradley's going to dive in and shed some insight and highlight some areas that not necessarily everybody knows, knows about. So I'll let you take it away, Bradley. Thanks, Joe. Um, I think this, this, this whole question of the Aberdeen incident um, is really key to understanding what's happened with the Brethren movement in the last 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, as well as understanding what everyone's experiences who were either alive during the time of Aberdeen or who were born in the last 10, 15, 20 years. The, um, it was not, like as you said, it was not a, a, just a single event. The Aberdeen thing or the Aberdeen matter, the issue, or people just sometimes just call it Aberdeen. Yes, that refers to a singular event. But it is part of a much larger and much longer and much broader series of events that highlighted and brought to the front or to the forefront, in my mind, um, the, the, the real issues with the Brethren Movement. Um, so, you know, the event in Aberdeen in the summer of 1970 was Mr. Taylor uh, being found in bed with a young married sister, 32, uh, by my grandfather, Mr. Gardner. I mean, that that's the fundamental crux of the issue. But the situation was, was much longer, much bigger. It both preceded it and continued until Mr. Taylor's death and, and later in 1970. And I think that's what's really important to remember because I, when I was inside, and I'm sure it's still being taught today, I would imagine, but I was told it was a it was an ambush. It was a specific event choreographed, uh, managed by Mr. Taylor to draw out opposition from people who were opposed to him over many years, including my grandfather, led by my grandfather. And he had he had to take this measure because they had not opposed him openly, or they had not articulated their opposition to him. And so he had to take extreme steps to expose their opposition to him. But even on a superficial level, I mean, you can believe it if you want to. That's fine. Like I have no, if somebody wants to believe that crap, then that's fine. But if you look at it, if you look at it just fundamentally, look at the facts of the situation, it doesn't hold water. 
It's just not true. I mean, you, if you believe, if you believe the story that Mr. Taylor being in bed naked with Mrs. Kerr naked, which they lied about at the beginning, and then changed their tune and admitted it, if you believe that, fine. But you are obviously suspending God-given belief, God-given rationality, God-given sense of this isn't right. And, and that's that's the bottom line. But the the, the situation, the, the whole argument that this had to be done, this appearance of taking on, you know, the appearance of infidelity and, and corruption had to be done because nobody opposed you openly is, is, is complete bullshit. It's complete bullshit. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, the, the and, and again, I'm speaking all from memory and from my notes that I took as a kid. And my dad gave me all his diaries, weirdly, um, when I was wow. in my 20s. So I have, you know, years and years and years of diaries, which my father took copious notes of every meeting he went to um, in lots of commentary in them. So so there's a lot of stuff that I have a not personal experience of, but, in, but in, I, I just don't have any reason to believe my dad would have been lying to his diary. But, you know, starting, <laughs> you know, up, you know, from 19, I don't know, 1905, 1906, 1908, and the, around the time JT died to the, to the early fifties, the brethren went through this kind of golden age of sort of mains. They were genuinely a mainstream Christian church in many ways. There were things that were weird, that were eccentric, that were a bit out of the, out of the ordinary. Um, but by and large, they were a conservative, extremely conservative. Lee, just a moment. Just go back to those dates. When JT died, this is 1952, wasn't it? 1953, I think. Or 52. Well, 52 53. You just said 1900. But I said the period between 1902 or 1908, I don't remember exactly when J, uh, when FER died. Took over from FER, right, yeah. Okay. Fine. So the period, the period under JT was was largely benign i mean there there were there were skirmishes and there were challenges and there were some theological innovations that he he did like salvation in the assembly and different things but but broadly speaking it was largely um it was kind of mainstream just on on the fringe mm-hmm. um and you know, brethren lived with their relatives that weren't in fellowship. Brethren, you know, my 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 father, my grandmother would take him to visit his grandparents and his aunts and his uncles. None of which had ever been in fellowship. Uh, TVs in the house. They would stay there. They would eat. You know, so this stuff was going on. Brethren had cottages by the sea. They would go and spend the summers there. <laughs> They wouldn't come to meeting. A lot of them had record players, at least the people in my parents' circles. <laughs> um, they didn't have radios, but they had, you know, record players. Um, in Outsiders, there were signs, you know, all are welcome. You could bring colleagues from work to the meeting, to the preachings. You know, the, the supper was always reserved for members only, but you could still attend. You just had to sit in the back. Um, so broadly speaking, that 50-some year period was pretty mainstream. And then 
in, you know, JT died and it was either 52 or 53. And there was this period where uh, a lot of different, there was a, a group, a, a number of different brethren, brothers who were leading, running, kind of helping run the show, who were asked to serve at the London meetings. And, you know, this this term, the, the universal meetings, always makes me chuckle because I always think like, oh, did that include like brethren from Mars? And, and <laughs> brethren, from, <laughs> brethren from Jupiter where we're coming in on a spacecraft. Anyway, the, the Levites meetings or the universal meetings in London, I think in 53 and 54, I don't have it in front of me, but I think 53 and 54 were Mr. Gardner. I think 55 and 56 were led by Mr. Taylor. I think 57 and 58 were my grandfather. And then I think Mr. Cowell was asked to take 1959 to, to lead the conference of 59. Um, and at least uh, what I was told during growing up in there and from my father's notes and letters and stuff, there was a lot of conversation about this being a time of mutuality, that there wasn't going to be another JND, FER, JT, that there was this period of, of um, just, it was, it was so harmonious and everybody was getting along so well, it was just going to be a big love fest and a kumbaya thing. And there was not going to be a, a, a head cheese um, until 1959. So, um, but what I do know happened is that I believe beginning in 1958, and David, you can correct me if I'm wrong on the date, um, JT Jr. started to minister. So th this would have been the second year that my grandfather had served at London. Um, JT Jr. began to minister that being involved in an association was... Uh, kind of in contravention of the fellowship, that if you were a member of a medical association, a legal association, if you were um, in any sort of professional association, or if you were a director in a worldly corporation, or if you were a brethren corporation that had worldly directors, that was all wrong because they were bodies in we as brethren could only be members of the body of Christ. And so therefore, all of those relationships had to be severed, which was hugely, was a big deal because there was a lot of brethren in the 50s who either held directorships or were in professional capacities as accountants or medical people or lawyers or whatnot. And the kind of the bastion of opposition to this, according to what I was told, the bastion of this was in England and Scotland opposition. And it included everything from greater London, where there were a lot of doctors, lawyers, um, engineers, <laughs> professional accounts, people who belong, directors of various kinds, MDs and things of, and treasurers and secretaries of, of corporations up to is stuff is, kind of esoteric as in the Western Isles of Scotland, um, the Lewis family, I think they were Lewis. No, it was on the Isle of Lewis. Lawrence, the Lawrences, they yeah. were, 
they were hugely involved in the Harris Tweed Association. So they, they, their business was Harris Tweed and you can only sell Harris Tweed if you had the Harris Tweed Association logo and were a member of the thing. And so Mr. Taylor was like, no, this is all garbage. You have to leave all these associations. You have to leave your directorship. Yeah. yeah he and was an, un he was an uncle of mine. Great uncle. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Lawrence? Yes. He married my grandmother's sister. Yeah. Cecil Lawrence. Yeah. That's so I have a, an aside <laughs> interesting story in just a moment. Yeah. And Cecil himself. But um so there was all the the, the the stuff and my grandfather um who was Scottish and who had lived in the state since the twenties still spent a huge amount of time every year, I don't know, multiple months every year in England and Scotland with all these people. You know, he really took up the flag of the anti-association matter people, and openly, openly, there was there was no there was no none of this garbage that, that JT Jr. promulgated at 20, in nineteen seventy that nobody had ever opposed him, and he had to draw out this hidden opposition. No, it wasn't. It was very open, and so he. So, so that happened. So the brethren, so, so Mr. Cowell and to some degree, my grandfather, but mainly, main, mainly pushed by Mr. Cowell, um, came up with this idea that there's a scripture that says, you know, about the children of Israel, that they shall not go out in haste. And so the, the idea was, no, they should not break off le the legal contracts. They should not break off legal agreements. They should wind them up in a normal orderly fashion and when everything was done and and handled in a quote-unquote righteous manner then we won't go into new ones jt jr said no that that's not the deal so in 1959 mr cowell's asked to take the meetings in london he 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 ministers on this and he gets up in particular and he ministers or he, he he's giving this word and they shall not go on, out in haste and there's all this tension. My grandfather was sick, actually. He was in the house. Um, there's a picture floating around, actually, of a bunch of people on the steps of PL's house. Yeah, I've got and it. Yeah. It was like James III, my grandfather. I think Mr. Hills is there. A um, bunch of people. Anyway, uh, so Mr. Cowles like, gives us this word saying, you know, they shall not go out in haste, that the, the, the people of God need to, to be righteous and be orderly. J.G. Jr. confronts him in the meeting, on the platform. Were you there, David, by chance? No, but I heard this. Yeah. He, he loudly, strongly confronted Mr. Cowell in the meeting. And this was like such a, just a radical departure, from what I understand, of anything brethren ask at all, that everyone was sitting in like stunned silence. And JT Jr. is essentially saying this is wrong, you're wrong, that you're leading the people of God astray, this is garbage, you know, the nonsense, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and everyone kind of sat there, and the meeting ended, and that was it. And so everything, everybody leaves London, there's this kind of weird vacuum because nobody really knows now what the hell's going on because JT Jr. is like openly like declaring war on the the rest of the the pe the people leading the sh running the show, kind of in this this weird coalescence of people. <laughs> my grandfather gets home, and um, my dad 
is at home and he comes down. I think th- I, I think this was the week following London, the London meetings. And my grandfather is apparently just sitting there staring into space, <laughs> saying, Mr. He had a telegram on the table um, open, and he was just saying, Mr. Cowell has been withdrawn from, Mr. Cowell has been withdrawn from, Mr. Cowell has been withdrawn from, just seemingly completely stunned almost um, into kind of insensibility. So my dad said to him, well, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> my dad, I think, was <laughs> 18th. Like, what are you going to do? Because, like, my grandfather was right, you know, lockstep with Mr. Mr. Cowell. And uh, he said, I don't know. Mr. Cowell's been withdrawn from. Mr. Cowell's been withdrawn from. Mr. Cowell's been withdrawn from. So what did happen was the next day, my grandfather uh, asked my father to take some dictation because my grandfather, uh, my dad kind of acted as secretary to my grandfather and to, t- to type up a confession um, to the brethren in Detroit about being in opposition to the, to the uh, lead given by Mr. Taylor. So something happened, who knows what, where my grandfather decided to fold his cards and be like, no, this is it. I'm laying them on the table. I'm not going to sit this. I'm not going to try and, you know, run the table. I am going to let this one play out and I'm going to fold them now and just acknowledge I was wrong and support Jim Taylor. So, so interestingly, the brethren in Detroit simultaneously, while this is all going on, we're like, boom, we're going to act on SMICC. We're going to, we're going to bring, so they call an assembly meeting. And they say, we have to address this this shit with you uh, about associations and your opposition to JT Jr. So my grandfather shows up at the assembly meeting and uh, all, all the brethren are there, you know, and because that was in the day when you could actually answer your charges. You know, that's, that's gone out the window a long time ago. But back in those days, you could actually show up and say, yeah, your day. So they show up and they say, "Well, you know, they open the thing. <laughs> you're you're being charged with, you know, whatever it was. I don't I don't remember the exact situation, but basically in opposition to JT Junior. in the ministry in the the light of the Lord and Lord's word and the current movement of the Spirit and blah blah blah." My grandfather pulls out a piece of paper, typewritten, out of his Bible. <laughs> And it's like, well, yes, I, I would agree. And he opens up the paper and proceeds to read his confession, completely flooring all the brethren who are there to withdraw from him. <laughs> <laughs> completely throwing the whole meeting off course. So he um, he reads this confession. He basically says, you know, I misunderstood the Lord's directives. I, I actually can see where I'm wrong and blah, blah, blah. We, we should, because JT Jr.'s thing was, um, so, so like Mr. Cowell and people like my grandfather were like, they shall not go out in haste. We should do things righteously. Mr. Taylor was like, no, it's righteousness to God before righteousness to man. And so if we are, if we now through this new revelation <laughs> understand that our, involvement in associations or involvement in directorships is unrighteous, then we need to leave those immediately to become righteous to God. And it's separated from evil and separated to God. So 
<laughs> my grandfather reads this thing, and then everyone sits there. No one knows what to do because clearly they had been given instructions to withdraw from him. And so, but he just confessed and repented and asked for forgiveness. So they're all sitting there. There's silence. There's this long period of silence. And there was some visiting brother there from somewhere else. And he says, finally, after this long, awkward, uncomfortable, nobody knew, knows what's happening next, silence. It's like, well, you guys have to forgive him. Like he, he's, he just confessed. He's repented. He's asked for forgiveness. Like, so that's what they did. Though they forgave him, and he kind of narrowly, very narrowly missed his brush with death there, his brethren death. Um, and then just really kept his head down. He was still asked to serve at meetings. He was still asked to do things, but he really kept his head down. And the Hales brothers, through all this, were very, very uh, in touch with him and kind with him. And um, like all through that period and into the 60s, a very much a part of my 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 grandfather and my dad's lives like um in fact in fact in in, in 1958 or 59 when all this crap was going down about the associations and they were you know john and bruce hales were kind of all around in north america and england and they're at the london meetings and they're in the they're in all these pictures and stuff they're, they just kind of emerged out of nowhere uh wbh marries Consi taylor mr taylor's daughter and uh and at one point, Bruce Hales, they're, they're at some conference somewhere. I don't remember where it was. Um, and Bruce Hales says to my dad after one of the meetings, do you think anyone knows what's going on here? Like they were kind of looking at a group of brethren milling around. And, uh, do, you, do you really think anyone knows what's going on here? And, you know, my dad told me this over and over and over again. He's like, I always wondered what Bruce meant. I always wondered what Bruce meant. Um, but he never asked me. He didn't ask him at the time. He just said, like, oh, I don't know, or something. But in thinking back on it, I really wonder if Bruce was saying, like, does anyone know that we're taking over? Does anyone know yeah. that we're actually <laughs> that we're actually pushing the yeah. show? Yeah. Um, so this is Bruce Senior, Uncle Bruce of the Senior, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so th so th that's just a weird kind of an aside. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happened in this period was um in 1958 so jt jr was asked to serve at a conference in detroit and my grandfather was asked to serve at a conference in manchester the same weekend manchester connecticut and so he went to manchester and jt jr came to detroit and they served at these simultaneous uh meetings and they both their entourages both landed at, like mr taylor's entourage was leaving detroit and my grandfather's entourage was coming back to Detroit, and they all ran into each other in the airport. <laughs> this whole this whole crew of people, and with Mister with Mister Taylor was my mom and her parents. This is long before my, this. Is the really weird thing is, is this is long before my parents married. It's like four years before they married. So my mom and her parents, Mister and Mrs. Taylor, Mister Hales, John Hales, um, and a group of other brothers, and with my grandfather was my dad, obviously, and a group of other brethren from Detroit. And my grandfather at that time was just super pissed off about this whole association thing. This is pre, the, pre before that whole assembly meeting shit. And so he just barges up 
to JT Jr. and just was like, you know, I'm paraphrasing again, but like, what the effing hell? Like, this is, it, this is so far off the rails. It is so bizarre. It is so stupid. It is so dumb. It's terrible what you're doing. You're tearing the brethren apart. You're doing this. And JT Jr. kind of stood there, kind of like, oh, oh. like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> it did not expect that. <laughs> um, and apparently, S. McSee just like raged, like raged at JT Jr. For like a number of minutes who just stood there and like took it and when it was all done um basically just said well stanley you know where the troubles always come from meaning according to my dad meaning the wealthy brethren of england and scotland basically that there was this sort of elite in scotland and england that that opposed him and then it's like stanley you know you know you you're from there you you know you know for the, what, what the problem is you know, basically that all these rich brethren would lose their incomes. But I actually think in retrospect, that was probably the design of the whole thing. Um, but anyway, they kind of split their ways. And then following that was the meeting with Mr. Cowell. But interestingly, in in the late 80s or early 90s, I don't remember the exact year, it was after JHS had died and, and Mr. Hills was ascendant. My father, I think I mentioned in my last podcast, was just this huge John Hills supporter. He just thought John Hales was um, just amazing. Uh, so, it, and they talked relatively frequently. And at one point, that we had a we had a hymn book revision during that period. Um, and John Hales talked to my dad about putting Asmixie's hymns back in the hymn book. This is <laughs> crazy shit. This is the complete crazy shit. Where I, as a teenager, I'm like, they know that JT Junior was wrong. They clearly know because they talk. Mr. Hales talked to my dad about putting S. McSee's hymns back in the hymn book in the 91 revision. Wow. Wow. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> and, and he actually quoted, he, there was, there was, it was, it, it was three day meetings in North America somewhere where he quoted, he quoted one of S. McSee's hymns, a residence of glory, God's tabernacle then. This this hymn my grandfather wrote, but JT Junior or uh, JSH quoted it in a meeting in the nineties. Interesting. Anyway, but <laughs> so I was like, John Hales. I think I I actually and I you know said before I have no personal issue with him. I thought he had, he said really crazy things and he did clearly did really crazy things to people, but. Um, it was a very different sort of regime than JT Jr. or JHS or the current thing. It was it was different. It was it was kind of like Cardinal Ratzinger, you know, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was this long period of decline with Pope um, John Paul II, where he was sick, and you know everyone else was running the show and at the Vatican. I mean, J, JHS went through that same period, mm. you know, and, and then they elected a caretaker, which was essentially what happened with JSH. I mean, they elected this guy, kind of got, kind of brethren, highly highly focused brethren guy, as kind of caretaker, while the the rest of the crew got their shit together and and and, and took over. Um, anyway, kind of lost my train of thought on the whole JSH. So, so then, so it moves into the sixties. The whole system thing, I don't need to go into. I think everyone knows the, the system yeah. thing. My, my grandfather kept his head down and out of the line of fire, and the Hales folk didn't really trouble him much. I think, I don't know why, 
they left him out of their firing line, but maybe they wanted a supporter at some point. And um, and JT Jr., though, during this period, in 65, I believe it was, you know, he was sent, he was suddenly out of commission for a long period of time for medical treatment. Um, but even my dad, who was, you know, a died in the wool arch supporter, believed it was for something to do with alcohol. Um, I believe he was sent to a detox or maybe being under treatment for some sort of alcoholism. Um, he reemerges back on the scene, and that's when he brings out the commerce and the assembly thing and gets, you know, John and Bruce are shut up. But then also during that period, that period of 64, 65, 66, there was this stuff in Europe where JTG would go to Europe. And apparently, I was told, you know, like he disappeared in Paris for a long period of time, like multiple days, like four or five days. Um, they had to like go and find him and he was hanging out with people um, doing stuff. Um, so Aberdeen was not new. I mean, this, this, his thing with ladies was not new. Um, and then there was this relatively, so I mean, the, 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 his ministry in the early sixties is relatively eloquent. I mean, you read it, the meetings are, are normal. Then you get into the late 60s, and by this point, you know, all the student protests are happening in the society at large. There's kind of the counter-reformation thing of the 60s going on. There's this huge, you know, battling between, and he gets really bizarre, and he starts doing really strange shit. Like, you know, you have to put your pets down. You have to shave your mustaches. You have to, just random weird stuff. Um, like, looking, look, looking at it, just sort of objectively. It's weird. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into 69 and 70, and it really goes seriously off the rails. Like, clearly, I mean, he's drinking all the time. He's drinking in all the meetings. And even, so make your, form your own judgment on this. Like, if you think drinking in the meetings is totally cool and that every preacher and minister should be able to drink tumblers of whiskey while they're serving you know, I guess then, then have at it, like do your thing, but it's clearly not to the most of the world. Okay. And then he gets into 69 and 70 and he goes on this whole thing in England in Northern, uh, Northern England and Scotland, where he's literally, he's literally fondling women, take, taking like young sisters, teenagers and young 20 something sisters on his lap, feeling their breasts, groping them, kissing them on the lips. Like this is, this is witnessed to by umpteen different people who saw it, including the ladies who he was doing it to. I mean, it, it is egregious and it is gross and it is a complete corruption of anything that is godly. And, you know, if you think that's okay or if somebody inside thinks that's okay, no, that's on you. But that's, it's not. It's not. If you just read the scriptures plainly, that is not okay behavior particularly not by a leader. <laughs> you read the meetings in Preston, which were printed when I was, I think, in my early 20s. They, 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 I was horrified. I could not believe that they were printing this garbage. It, it is utterly horrifying garbage about boobs and butts and sex. It, it's utterly disgusting shit. It's just dreadful. And, you know, and then he shows up at Aberdeen 
and he does what he does at Aberdeen. You know, I don't know if he slept with Madeline or not, but they were together in bed naked. That alone is bad enough. Yeah. Call it what you want to call it. But the stupid thing is, is there was all this stuff that's been witnessed to by countless people leading up to Aberdeen, dating into the late 60s. Years, literally years of his misbehavior, his stuff in Paris, his drinking, his bad behavior, his, his under any other, if I did it, if you mm-hmm. did it, anyone did it, it would have, we would have been withdrawn from, we yeah. would have been treated yeah. differently. But because it was him, no one did it. And they said, it's okay. That's not what the Bible says. Say what you want. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the leaders should be held to a higher standard. I mean, I'm yeah. And it's certainly, there is no connection with biblical principles or, or teaching if you're a Christian. Like, there, there's just not. There's just not. Yeah. So you, you have to do these, these semantic gymnastics and verbal and mental and psychological gymnastics to justify it. And it, and it isn't justifiable. It's nonsense. But the thing about the whole thing at Aberdeen with Mrs. Kermit in his bed and the house in Aberdeen... The, what puts that to to complete rest as as a defense is like a month later, two months later, a reporter from some newspaper shows up at his house on East Twenty Sixth in, in Brooklyn to talk to him. Let's get his side of the story. That's what the press does. We'll get this side. We'll get that side. They show up. He's sitting there. He literally they. I mean, that's embarrassing, actually. I mean, the fact that my family was so closely entwined with him, and I personally, I mean, my my wife was his granddaughter. I mean, it's embarrassing. But he, they, he has the reporter shown into the room. He's wearing only his underpants and a shirt. Drinking a tumbler of whiskey. Like two months after Aberdeen. And the reporter says something and he's like, well, I guess I should probably put my pants on, but I feel much more comfortable just wearing my underpants. I mean, it is so outrageous. It is so outrageous that it is, you can't, this expression, you can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. This mm-hmm. this really happened. And so the idea that this was like Aberdeen was some like carefully choreographed situation is, is nonsense. He was completely out of control. He was behaving in a way that there is no justification for in scripture. There is no justification for in the great ministries that preceded him. I might, I don't know if I think they're great, but I mean, the ministries that preceded him, there is, there's nothing, there's no justification for it. And he, he, then Mrs. Kerr appears. She's in his house in New York, like two months later. He goes and puts some pants on and then sticks his arm around her and cuddles all up to her and says, she's my woman. Like there is, there, there is, there is a no way. There is no way that any person, I mean, I have no skin in this game. I'm, you know, 50 years hence. I have a really great life. I, but how people believe that this was somehow divinely sanctioned and of God and based on scripture is nonsense. It's, it's, it, it just, there, there isn't, there isn't, it, it's not possible. I mean, obviously God can do anything, but, but I think God would say, okay, you didn't believe this, got you. Yeah. That was, yeah. 
I mean, at that point, the whole split had taken place. I mean, everyone who was opposed had already sure. been exposed yeah, to the so-called ambush. So what was the point in continuing this uh, a month later and with a reporter present? I mean, what about the testimony? We're all told about the brethren are here for the service in God and the testimony. But wow, I mean, <laughs> why get a reporter involved if the only purpose of this was to provoke a split in the brethren community yeah it, it's Sorry, just, just going to bring it up it's just it's just it's i agree with you 100 percent um it, it's just it makes no sense and there's no so we are if you're a christian and if you believe that god has given us the ability to think and and if we have a work of god in us and the holy spirit in us to make decisions that are godly or that are based on divine command or biblical principles, this is not it. This is absolutely not. If I was doing this, this would be shameful. So this is the article that was written. Um, we'll attach it to um, a link to it at the end of the podcast in our descriptions if you want to read it. Yeah. Um, and it just goes on to everything that uh, Bradley has talked about Um I'm not going to go on it because we have so much to cover today. Um, but it, yeah, it's got everything on here. And But that was the picture taken at the time, isn't yeah, it? The one that's a bit what I wanted yeah. to bring on. Was that he on yeah, he got his pants on by that stage, thankfully. But he's still wearing his pajamas, top. <laughs> yeah, so he is. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's sad. It, and honestly, it's, I, I feel still the sense of like I, I tend to like flush. I get embarrassed. I feel ashamed. I think it, I think it's really dreadful. It's really dreadful. Um, yeah. And 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 then, you know, then it moves out of that to this weird JT JHS period where it, you know initially at least there was this kind of like jerk back to center. Um, you know, the people there was a bunch of people in 1970 and seven early 71 who started younger brothers who started kind of orchestrating orgies and all this weird shit with people and claiming it was God's liberty and they were following on Mr. Jim's directive. Like Derek Notes, the whole movement with Derek Notes in South Africa that's still alive, weirdly, with like, you know, 20 or 30 families, um, different families. But then JHS kind of grabs, grapples and grabs the rein. And my dad tells this funny story about being, by this point, the universal meetings, the universal meetings, you know, Mars, <laughs> Jupiter, <laughs> um, they all show up in Bristol because by then the meetings are in Bristol and my dad goes there and because uh, JT, JT Jr. hadn't been wearing a tie for like two years or three years and so he said that <laughs> my dad said like at the first meeting everyone shows up not wearing ties but JHS shows up wearing a tie in a <laughs> very very formal and my dad said everyone watched <laughs> the meeting afterwards. <laughs> home. If they hadn't packed a tie, they all went to the shops and bought ties. <laughs> In the next meeting, everyone was wearing ties again. And my, my, dad, my dad talked about just the sense of relief that there's a weird period that they've been under with JHS or with JT Jr. was over. And they and he and my dad had hoped that even though JHS was just a farmer and kind of uneducated man, but he felt he, he knew JHS because he married my mom and I just knew him personally in the house. 
um, he just felt kind of relieved. He was like, oh my God, thank, thank goodness we're back to normal. But that didn't last long. You know, that, that all went out the window. Kind of a funny aside. So <laughs> anyway, that's, that's kind of what I know. You know, it's, it makes me so upset and just, like, it just, I don't even know how to find words for this. Because, because of the, because of JT Jr. and his attitude and how it was accepted and it's still like, still is believed that he was innocent and pure has given this years and years and decades and decades of abuse to happen in there. And it been covered up. Had it had like, it, I'm trying so hard not to break apart here because it's just, had had Aberdeen had JT Jr. been dealt with the way he should have been dealt with, I guarantee what happened to me would have never happened to me. I agree. And I guess it's just hard to sit here and 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 the amount of people that are still denying and in denial of what really went down on. Do you know honestly the reason why we're doing this podcast is because of requests from insiders. So mm-hmm. this podcast was not brought together from our own um, desire. I mean, not, we don't have no issue doing it, but it was literally emails and messages and phone calls that I was getting after Bradley's podcast for us to do a separate Aberdeen podcast, because this is hidden in there. You can't find information on Aberdeen in there. And the one older, older gentleman asked me, he said, this younger generation doesn't know about it. And I think it is so, so important to bring light to the sexual abuse that went on in there. I mean, there was alcoholism, there's all this other stuff that was going on. But if we're dealing with what is very rampant that we're seeing, it's the sexual abuse and how, I mean, that picture right there with him sitting with her, there was no need, as you say, for her to still be in his house two months later. Mm, It's just, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that I have to fight for something that is so blatantly black and white. Mm. That is what is sad. Well, and I think the cover-up is is like it's to remind people that there were people that saw what happened and they would write letters. And I know JHS or, or Grandpa Symington would say, don't open your mail. Don't read the letters. Um, and I know he told it to his kids. He said, if you get letters about what supposedly happened at Aberdeen, don't open them. Throw them away. Don't even entertain the thoughts of what people say they saw. So it was a cover-up, which he seems like he was good at. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, the, the, the two places that suffered the largest losses of brethren in 1970 were, were in Scotland. Yeah. Were all- where almost everyone left. Yeah. I mean, out of four or five or 6,000 brethren, I think like 100 lab were left. In New York City. Hmm. Hmm. Who knew him, the, the place where they saw what went on. Yeah. Yeah. And the place that knew him the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And said, yeah, that rings true. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Things. So hmm. it, was, it was the places that knew him or saw things that said, yep, fine. it's time to pay the piper. This doesn't make sense. We got mm. it. Um, and I think that says a lot. Mm. Well, while more distant places, they could 
yeah. kid themselves that it was a lie. And of course, it was widely spread around that the whole thing was a lie and it wasn't true. And they could say, well, you know, perhaps it was a lie. So let's play safe and stay with the family and kind of not lose everything by going out. Yeah. yeah. I think no, David was actually, were you actually at those Preston meetings, David? Can my you give father a, was. Your father no, was, my, yeah. Tell, tell us about was. that again. I know you mentioned it before. What did he say afterwards and so on? He was horrified. He was utterly horrified. I mean, we're all, we all know what, what that sort of behavior looks like. You know, it, it's not exclusive to brethren, but to see it happening in a brethren meeting was just abhorrent. But the whole thing is so distasteful. He, came back from the Saturday meeting and he said to me privately, and I've no is other that, witness. I'm not, is that Preston, David? Preston meetings, three-day oh. meetings. Yeah. We live, we still live in the Manchester area and Preston is only 30 miles away. Okay. So a lot of Manchester brethren went to Preston. I, I wasn't invited. My father went. He came back and said privately to me, he should be taken, at, he should be taken home and horsewhipped. And he yeah. was furious. <laughs> Next day, he retracted on that and said, I can't believe that the man of God has been allowed to fall, to fail. If he has, it calls into question the whole recovery of the truth. So he'd, he'd basically fudged it, unfortunately. Uh, mm. Now, just after Aberdeen, of course, we were getting... Um, uh, Stotts had put out the, um, the transcript. Do you remember all that? Um, they, they put out this book, If We Walk in the Light, which yep. was the transcript of the Aberdeen meetings. And yes, as, as uh, you said, I think as Carmen said, you had to not read it, you had to not look at it and so on. But, but it was there, readily available. But of course, the whole topic was taboo. You couldn't raise the subject of Aberdeen at all. But I think it's very telling that when Stanley McCallum said to Jim Taylor in the bedroom at Aberdeen, what would Rennie think, his wife? And Jim Taylor's response was, I suppose you're going to tell her. Yeah. Now that, I think, is a very telling instant reaction on the spot. Just his guilt was undeniable. He knew mm. he was in the wrong. And I think, interestingly enough, um, James the Third, James the Third's wife, um, was so horrified by it that she she was actually withdrawn from, or they were shut up for a while because she wouldn't accept what her uh, father-in-law had done. And I understand JT's wife was also very upset about it and couldn't accept it for a while. But eventually, she was kind of persuaded to not make an issue of it. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. There's something terribly sad about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Not it only for what happened sad. then, but what it gave way to, like Cheryl mentioned earlier. Yeah. What it allowed yeah. for later. Yes. It 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 honestly my <laughs> growing up my mother would cry every time anybody brought up Aberdeen. And I still feel like um I still feel like crying. I still yeah. have dreams. I, I still there's something terribly sad. About mm, it is. Yeah. 
I do. I think it was a pivotal moment that allowed for all this to happen that we're hearing about now, right? Um, yeah. And I think I, the, like, the foundation was laid, mm-hmm. but that set the stage. Yes, one hundred percent. It was it like all, permission. all the pieces of the all of the pieces of the set were on the stage. Yeah. Like that allowed for the curtain to go up and all this crap yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, if if you're going to take a man of God position, the elect vessel, um, I don't care who takes it. That is your responsibility to clean this up. I don't care who who is in. I don't know how many care. I don't care how many generations later. But I mean, with the amount of stories that have come forward and are continuing to come forward, the amount of phone calls that we get, the emails that come rolling in, um, I'm in conversation with somebody right now that is, you know, I've explained to him that it is so important and so imperative that Bruce gets off of his throne and looks at what he has discarded into the dump because that that pile has grown and grown and grown and that's what this movement does all it is not this isn't about retaliation this isn't about being an opposer this is literally about i mean i i could not fathom walking past a burning building with children crying in it i couldn't there's no way i could care if those were my enemy's children i would go in there and i would get those children Hmm. i just would go in there I would sacrifice myself to pull out a child. That is how a man of God should think. Past, present, and future. The compassion should run so deep inside his heart that it should just be right there. And we do not see that with Bruce. You do not see that at all. And that doesn't mean that I'm sitting here being an opposer of his. I'm just saying his leadership does not exude compassion. We have a, I'm going to play this. We have a recording from one of J2 Jr.'s meetings. Um, So I'm going to, just one second here. While I get this all up.
What do you think we're going to get on with all these songs from the tight to hell with them? <laughs> hell with them, I said. Hell with them.
<laughs> now, we have some other things before, before us, you know, what I want being before you. What I want being... You know, the, the thing that's so sad about that meeting in Aberdeen, the one that is, you know, like Mr. Brown, George Brown, was a really a, like a kind of a selfless servant who had worked at the depot as editor for umpteen years, and he just totally mocks the crap out of him. Hmm. And my, my grandfather wasn't well he was i don't know whether he had the flu or what but he's like trying to go out and go to the bathroom and jt jr is like openly mocking him i mean it's just it's it's so stupid it's so juvenile and it's a little bit hard like i said in my last podcast to feel bad for some of these guys who like upheld him and like put up with this crap for 10 years i mean they all did Right? They all put up with it for years, and Aberdeen was kind of like the the crowning glory. But it, it's, it's it's just really it's really sad. Mm. All grown older men were like putting up with this abuse and acquiescing to this treatment, you know, allowing him to do the shit that he was doing. It's just it's just appalling. It's just appalling. I mean, one of the one of the legacies of that. Quite apart from the the kind of whitewashing of sexual abuse that's sort of continued from that day to this, is this idea that the man of God is completely infallible and can do anything he likes, and can that's very current, isn't it? Can say or do anything. Yeah, it's 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 completely unscriptural. Yeah, I mean, it, it, say what you want, say what you. But, but you cannot claim that based on scriptural principles. You cannot. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking up Bruce Hale's ministry on the subject in the subject index, and he says, I think he's quoting his father. His, his father said, it would, it's more likely that the sun would fail to rise in the morning than that, than that Mr. Jim could have failed. I mean, that's putting man in the position of God. I mean, the only other people who claim infallibility is the popes, um, and they only claim it in yeah. They only claim it in specific situations. They don't claim to be generally infallible, but the the man of God is apparently sinless and infallible, and and that's a very large part of the grip that Bruce Hales has on the brethren at the moment is that they've been brainwashed into believing that this guy is incapable of doing or saying anything wrong. I mean, the, 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 the thing that came out was just starting when I left about um, John Hales being sinless. Mm. I mean, th that is just heretical. Yes. That, 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 yeah. that is, that is heretical. That, that is plainly, on its plain reading, is heretical. Yeah. I mean, the scripture says, all have sinned. Yeah. And come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So if mm. you are a Christian... If someone says this man is sinless, that is heretical. That is against scripture, and that is against the teaching of the word of God. Mm -hmm. There is no other way around it. There's it's blasphemy. Not it's complete blasphemy. 
And yeah. then that's only kind of grown to, I mean, to this point of this, it's, so, it's like, again, kind of embarrassing. Like Bruce Hales doesn't have body odor. Like he's so <laughs> it's, just, it's just so weird and juvenile. And yeah. Like, no, no, he's a human. I mean, even Jesus was human. Yeah. He was like us in all manner, sin apart. I mean, that that's the reality. And to try and claim this godlike stature for men who are no different than you and I, no different, is, is heretical. It is mm -hmm. blasphemy. And that is, stature is, again. Heretical, it is blasphemy. Yeah, yeah. And that stature again is giving Bruce Hales the capability to do whatever and get away with ever. Do you know, yeah. I had an ex-member who had spoken to her parents just recently um, about his mansion. And they were like, absolutely not. He would never spend that kind of money on a, on a house. She says, that, that, that's not true. That's not true. And literally sent the news articles to them, whether they could open them or not. But um, talking to another young fella overseas, and he's the same thing as like, there's, he says, we don't get away with anything. But the higher up you are, you get away with so much. You know, there's a flight ban that was put on. People that are higher up get to do whatever they want, but yet everybody else has to stay housebound. Mm. You know, it's just. Yeah, the Christmas travel ban. Yeah, they, yeah. every Christmas they do. Oh, no, you can't travel for Christmas. It's a pure, guess, pure like, world if, sportism. Yeah. If Bruce is so concerned about why there's such division happening, like if he truly was taking this core magnifying glass, look at what has happened in the past and that this past has created his future, his present and the future that he's going into, right? Like anybody can see, anybody can see of where the issues are stemming from and why it's still just repeating this. The history just keeps repeating itself. Hmm. You know, maybe yeah. sure we're not going to see Bruce Hales act like Daichi Jr., but all the same, uh, well, all I the same we're thing. Not going to. Pardon? I don't know if we're not going to. We might. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the yeah. mass delusion that is evidence here is yeah. epitomized at Aberdeen, where you've got a lot of people observing and listening to this stuff but still supporting and cheering and so on is um do you think that aberdeen has sort of brought it to a complete flowering of 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 um hypocrisy yeah the week before my father said one of the things that was sickening was to see the queue of sisters queuing up seeing what was happening to the ones in front of them but still wanting to go and sit on jt Junior's lap now that power of um he said it was it was awful you know people willingly um suspending their judgment and this is what's going on still you know they're completely unable to see clearly what what's right in front of their faces it's mm -hmm. such abuse of power such abuse of power yeah and i mean we i mean there's abuse of power everywhere it's in all the institutions but it should not be inside a quote-unquote mainstream Christian church. Well, I think this is the fundamental issue that uh, sometimes gets overlooked, is, is that the reason Aberdeen arose, so yes, it did not happen under J&D or FER or JT, but the reason it arose was the structure that was set up under them. Yeah. Yes. Where there was no accountability. 
There was no process for appointment of elders, leaders, and uh, deacons, and you know the biblical stuff. There was there was no venue or forum for believers to be protected and raise concerns about. There wasn't. It was it was uh, not. I'm struggling for the word here, but it was like purposefully denied J and D. Yeah. He he explicitly said he did not want that kind of thing because that that would shut down the spirit of God. And yeah. what I think what from my perspective is as a Christian who's come through a, a lot of stuff is is that the structures that churches put in place are actually led by the spirit of God. The the structures are guided by the spirit of God to help our human weakness deal with what we have to deal with. And Aberdeen is the genuine, real culmination of what happens when you allow unfettered access to power. Mm. Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power to corrupt, absolutely. It's not a scripture, but it's very true. It's yeah. true. I mean, it, 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 I mean, he he was doing shit, and and you look at the and, and you look at the men swept up in this. I mean, this is the the sad thing to me. Like my grandfather, Mister Gardner, AJ Gardner, um, all these different guys who supported him, even through the worst of it. I mean, yes, Aberdeen it finally broke for most of them, but they were supporting him through really bad shit. Yeah, they they turned the other way. Mm. Well, a lot of this crap was going on. Just the if they had stood up, if they had stood up in yes, if they had stood up in '59, if they had stood up in '64, if they had stood up in '66, if they had stood up in any of these years and said, "This is wrong," oh, yes. it would yeah, have yeah. stuck. Yeah. But they didn't. They didn't, and that is on them. It, yeah. It's it is what it is, but it I is. That it just appeared out of the blue in 1970. Yes, <laughs> it was yeah, built years and years and years. So yeah, I went on with it. You know, I, I, I did. It wasn't the cost. The cost of standing up and objecting was so high that I kept putting it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew what it would, what would happen. Yeah, and, uh, David, I am the same. I, I I can't claim anything until the moment I left. I have to accept responsibility for supporting what was going on. Yeah. That's why I'm so thankful to, to Mr. Simington. As I, told, as I told his granddaughter, he gave the opportunity to step back and, and, and look at it because he shut me up for, um, for my wife going to watch the royal wedding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how terrible. How terrible. Yeah. yeah. How, how terrible. Incidentally, you asked... Was I at Central Hall, Westminster in uh, 1959? Yes. Lisi was. Lisi was there. She's on the photograph. Oh, really? She was oh, only 13, so she doesn't. Re- she remembers the squabbles and the and the tension, but not the detail. Huh. So we have we have an eyewitness to that meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's what this has to happen again, right? Like, I mean, we're reaching a climax again, where this isn't this isn't a one-time incident that's going to happen in the future. This is a buildup. It's an accumulation of things. I, and I mean, I don't know. I don't know. How do people stand up and say, this is wrong? That's what has to happen with Bruce. People need to stand up and say, this is wrong. 
I mean, that's it. The the heads are chopped off immediately. I know. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't know. Like, how, how do you do it? How does somebody gain the courage to stand up or enough of them and say that this is wrong, put an end to it? But that's what needs to happen. But how do you do it? Yeah, I think one of the really big things is as much different than 1970 or even later is is their financial well-being is all tied up in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I left with nothing. You left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Richard left with nothing. Most of us did. Yeah. But it's terribly fearful for most people to say, I'm going to leave and I'm literally going to live on the street or I'm not going to have a, a clear picture of where my next meal is coming from. When you're prepared to do that because of your preparedness to say, the untruths and the lies and the bullshit and the carry <laughs> that's just deceitful and ugly and horrible and against God's principles. If you're prepared to say that and you're prepared to walk away and let that fall where it may, that makes a difference. But and would you I say, Bradley, that in doing that, like for myself, because I left the way that I left with nothing and to nothing, in I have my connection to myself and my faith within me is untouchable now. And I think when we sit here and I'm like, I am not going to do, I'm not going, I don't want to disrespect anybody's fear or, or, or the, the length of fear that you have to go through and the, everything that you've got to overcome to get up and leave. But at some point you have to be worth more than your finances your house, everything that is around you, 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 yourself is worth more than staying in something that is so inherently corrupt and evil. You have to be prepared to leave leave your money. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I mean, money is just paper. It is just paper. Yeah. There's, there's, it's, it's, I mean, it's not a, there's ways to build your life back up. And when you get to do it by yourself with your own bare hands and whoever you tend to leave with, there's such a community feel to it. There's such an empowering sense of, I pick myself back up by myself and I'm standing. I don't have a lot of money for crying out loud. I still rent, but I don't care, right? I, money is not at the forefront in my life. To me, it's, it's friendship. It's family connections. It's making sure that I'm always true to myself and my surroundings. But most of all, it is about standing up for yourself and those that have been wrongly abused. So I will keep doing whatever I need to do in order to speak up for those that have been abused and don't have a voice yet, right? And to me, I think that is one of the most powerful things to do is to be a voice for someone until they get their voice. And there's plenty of people that have contacted all of us in there that I know have the capability to stand up and say, this is wrong. Yeah. They're seeing through it. The thing that ties them is finances, but I can tell you money. It doesn't matter money. It's not you're taken care of. I've been taken care of for 30 years. Sometimes I didn't know how I was going to get from month to month, but I still made it. Yeah. We were taken care of no question about it. God picked us up and, and looked after us wonderfully. But the problem is, it's not just money. It's it's the rest of your family. 
It is and the family, yeah. You have to leave behind all the, the people who won't come with you. And that's, that's the hardest thing. But I do believe, this is what I believe. I believe that enough, if enough people do it, Bruce will have to change that rule. There will be some sort of, that's how I envision it, is that if enough people do it and enough people stand up and say this is wrong, to me, that separation rule is not biblical. It does not come from any teachings that he's coming from. To me, it is just a way for him to keep separation for his his flock to be focused on him and not anything else. Yeah, it's completely necessary because if they could freely talk to us. Oh, yeah, no, he put- wouldn't have what he has. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't fall to bits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I've said this before. I just want to keep saying it to people inside. The wall of separation is not to keep the world out. The wall of separation is to keep yes. you in. It's yeah. a prison wall. Yes. Berlin yeah. was a prime example of that. Yeah. Berlin was to keep the East, East Berlinians in the communist state. It wasn't to protect yeah. them at all. Yeah. 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 What happened? And I think, I think, David, what really showed that up, for those of us who remember was when the wall came down, when they started knocking down sections of it, there weren't people in the West rushing into the East. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was people rushing from the East into the West. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, it's really sad, actually. Um, it is so sad. But it is, but it is up to every individual inside. It is up to every individual to make the decision. Will you will you follow biblical principles? Will you read for yourself Jesus's words? Will you do the things that are instructed to you if you want to be brethren by the early brethren? Or are you just going to go along with this current bullshit? Because the current stuff is bullshit. Yeah. It's completely different than the old Absolutely. stuff. Yeah. It's completely yeah. different from if you just read the Bible plainly. Yeah. Stick with the JND version if you want. Read it. It does not tell you to do what you're being asked to do. So make yeah. the decision yourself. I mean, I'm not telling you what to do. Like, do yeah. do your thing. But yeah. but make the decision that's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah and I mean, the whole thing has been built on sand. It doesn't have a foundation of block. And eventually that sand is wearing down and wearing down and it will fall. It will. You know, there's, there's no solid construction in it. I mean, the whole, the whole current brethren edifice has no structure to it. Yeah. All the property belongs to Bruce Hales personally. Yeah. <laughs> and that's by design. You know, you have to realize he's know. done that on purpose. He all has restrained and constrained all their finances on purpose to limit the amount of movement of people that might have the desire to leave. If you can't take your finances, you're going to stay. All it's by design. All of their leadership is tied up in the UBT whole yeah. sort of network of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just break out. Break out. You can. One big difference, though. Maybe, maybe, maybe everyone, maybe everyone inside should watch the Truman Show. <laughs> yes, and be like, "Holy crap! Unbelievable! <laughs> it's all a facade. <laughs> We're all Truman." But the, the big difference these days is the internet. 
Yeah. You know, that is a huge difference. I mean, we couldn't do this without. And you've got some very intelligent people on, on the internet who are picking apart what the brethren leadership have liked to keep concealed. And I think that's really valuable work because it's exposing the rottenness at the core of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was sitting here just realizing that we didn't really explain Aberdeen, what it is to people who are not part of the Brethren. Um, <laughs> we just kind of jumped in. Bradley, do you want to just like give a brief synopsis to people who wouldn't even know what we're talking about when we say Aberdeen? <laughs> um, so the Brethren... Um, 10 minutes. From close to the beginning had as re have, have recognized a leader as their sort of um, spiritual guide, their pope, essentially the brethren pope. And in 1970, uh, that person was ser was hosting or, or leading conferences in Aberdeen, Scotland. And during that conference uh, was suspected of bad behavior with uh, a married brother and sister. Um, and so uh, during the course of the conference, uh, certain brethren people went into his room, like knocked on the door and then went in and confronted him. And he was in bed naked with a naked young brother lady. And he claimed that he was doing this as an ambush, that he was doing this as a way to catch or to um, draw out position to himself uh, from people who were opposed to him. I think I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, all the brethren in Scotland left because they're like, we know all the people who saw this crap happen. That was not what was going on. He was just sleeping with a young lady. Like, that's bullshit. So all the brethren in Scotland left, but half the brethren or more than half, three-quarters of the brethren in New York left. But who knew him, actually? Um, and most of the other brethren stayed, honestly. So there was this huge rupture. But this event, the what's called Aberdeen or the Aberdeen incident, um, still remains very pivotal in the brethren psyche. Um, whether you believe that JT Jr. was pure, he was purely naked in bed with a naked young lady. I guess that's a definition of purity I'm not familiar with, but that's purity in their idea. Um, and if you accept that JT Jr. was pure, and that he was purely naked, and he was purely in bed with Madeline, who was naked, and everything was pure, and everything was good to go. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what you believe, but it's it's stupid. It's stupid. It's, it's, the key thing is it's a test of fellowship. I mean, if you were a current member of the PBCC, Plymouth Brethren Church, and you were to express, even privately, that you felt that JT Jr. shouldn't have been doing that, you would be withdrawn from. Oh, you would yeah. be excommunicated yeah. overnight, yeah. instantly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think the instantaneousness of the whole Aberdeen thing 
is because they know it's so volatile. Yes, yeah. so dangerous to them. Yeah, we yeah. know that this is the real. This is the real bullshit. This. Yeah. <laughs> this is the incontrovertible, uh, incontrovertible crap that will set the whole thing up in flames if anyone believes it. Mm. Um, yeah, and <laughs> it is. I mean, there were there were multiple people in that room in the bedroom. If we go back, let's just go back. Not dealing with all the crap that he said in Preston. Not all him kissing all the young ladies and squeezing their tits. Like not all that shit. Not let's, let's avoid all that for the moment. And just talk about when the brothers entered his room. There were multiple brothers there who saw Madeline naked, saw JT Jr. naked. And you're going to believe that didn't happen? Or that this was somehow God's will? That's bullshit. That is complete <laughs> bullshit. That is so stupid. It's, it, it beggars belief that people believe it. I can't believe I believed it. I mean, it, I it, it, it. utterly it not. Wasn't, it, it wasn't worth making a fuss about. <laughs> At some point, yes. No, exactly. It's like, no. I, I mean, I have relatives who are like, no. Like, it was so egregious. It was so obvious. It was witnessed to by so many people. Why would we even talk about it? Of course not. We're going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to an ex-member a couple of weeks ago and he said, we got talking about Aberdeen. Oh, we lost him. I got talking about Aberdeen and he said that, he's like, I honestly thought Aberdeen was just a swear word. He's like, I didn't realize it was a place. He's like, I grew up thinking it was just a swear word. <laughs> How funny. Oh, it's kind of funny. Anyhow. Well, we lost Bradley. <laughs> um, that was valuable stuff that Bradley had. Right? Mm -hmm, I, some mm -hmm. of that I didn't know. But yeah. he's, got some he's a wise, wise man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I guess thank you, Bradley, for joining us and David for joining us and letting us dive into this. I will attach the link of the transcript. I'm not sure all what we're going to put up. So um, just look below in the description of what we end up deciding on attaching onto here. And um, and thank you for Nisi joining us too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she Nisi, just brings a it. smile to my face. <laughs> yeah. She's had her evening medication mixed with ice cream, but it actually said, makes her very sleepy. Oh. Say goodbye, darling. Okay. Well, until next time, everyone, um, thank you for watching, and we will do a part two if one is required um, from our feedback. Yep. Much love to you all. Thank you so much for thank what you're doing. You. Richard, sometime I'm going to hook up with you on FaceTime when you're ready. Yeah, sure. We could do that. We could do that very shortly, if you like. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Share your story or be a guest on the show. Email info.getalife at proton.me.